everyone, and welcome to episode 126 of Midweek Metagame. I'm HamGG, only joined by one of my regular co-hosts this week, Gabriel Nassif. Hey everyone. Well, 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 sadly Patrick Robertson is not joining us again this week as sadly um, some family commitments, some work commitments, and Teddy commitments, but... You know, that won't stop us talking talking about Magic today. We have a lot to get into. There are two, not one, two announcements from Wizards of the Coast with a new format coming to Magic Arena, as well as the organized play announcement for Magic Arena and Magic Online, helping you get to the Pro Tour and to Worlds. So that's going to be interesting to talk about. And then obviously we've been playing Magic this week. Gav's played a lot of Modern. I played a lot of Pioneer. You're going to get a full format breakdown from both formats this week from us. And we're actually going to be insightful. Um, But before we get into that, the podcast is sponsored by Card Market. They're great. If you don't know what Card Market is, it's a marketplace online to buy anything card game related. It can be deck boxes, sleeves, singles, accessories, you name it, they have it. They don't even do Magic the Gathering. They also do card to games like Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Digimon, Flesh and Blood. Go check them out. They sponsor the cast. They make it um, easy for us to be consistent every week. They're great. If you personally like to support the podcast, best place to do so is at patreon.com slash midweekmetagame as a... Uh, you know, no pressure to do so, but that's the best place to support us. But, you know, we're not here to shill, we're here to talk about magic. So, Gab, like I said, there was an organized play announcement and an arena announcement. So why don't you let people know what's happening? Yeah, so months ago they had the announcement for organized play as far as life magic goes, and they said that, you know, they would have one for digital later, and we just had that today. So I guess I'll just go through it for magic online you're going to be able to qualify for the regional qualifiers or for the regional championships um you know basically the the equivalent of the the qualifiers that you could play at your local game store it's going to be the, the qualifiers the super qualifiers on magic online and Something I think they kind of had announced already is that if you qualify for the showcase, the showcase is still going to be around. And the eight players who qualify for the showcase qualify for the Pro Tour as well. And the top two finishers of this showcase qualify for Worlds. And I believe there's three eight-player showcase per year. Mm -hmm. So that's six, six players to Worlds directly from Magic Online. So just to clarify, these showcases are the old Mox equivalents, right? Yeah, the, the Mox, the showcase, yeah. Okay, so cool. When I'm talking about the eight-player showcase turns, I'm yeah, it's the the Mox. You're right. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so one uh, one one uh, complaint people had is that basically these qualifiers and super qualifiers are Magic Online. Are you know sometimes they're like they're they're usually several hundreds of players and you can have some of the best players in the world playing and they're going to be kind of the same as you know your twenty person thirty person local uh, qualifier. So there seem to be some kind of a unbal you know un unbalance is that a word unbalance there, mm -hmm. which was kind of always the case I guess that. The, the Magic Online qualifiers were always tougher, as well as, you know, b back in the day, you had some some 200, 300 PTQs in Paris with a lot of really good players. And at the same time, you could have, I don't know, 30-player PTQ in middle of nowhere in the US or Finland or whatnot. So obviously, there's no perfect system, mm -hmm. but it does seem like maybe... Maybe they'll give more slots. I'm not sure. Hopefully, there's there's a way to make it not you know as as unbalanced as it might look right now. Another another complaint was that you can qualify. Um, now I guess you can qualify to the regional championship and the pro tour and the world. So on Magic Online, you can qualify to pretty much every stage of the big paper events. As for arena, the way it's gonna work. It's a little bit of new, a little bit of old. They still use ladder play, but um, they're basically going to have a, a qualifier level 
that qualifies you to the arena championship or the pro tour and the arena championships are going to be happening three times a year so kind of what we had this year free arena championships except they're only going to be 32 players 200k prize pool which is pretty good for only 32 players so yeah every four months one of these arena championships 32 players so how do you qualify well you're still going to have, you know, the qualifier weekends like we had, and you can still qualify for the qualifier weekends through ladder play. You have to finish in the top 250 now instead of to top 1200. And the reason for that is that they're also doing something called play in events, which if you don't want to have to grind a ladder to qualify for the qualifier weekend, you can play in these play events that happen, um, you know, couple times per qualifier weekend and there you know tournaments where you have to i think you have to win maybe four best of three matches in a row or if you want to play best of one you maybe have to go six one or better so you have the option basically to to grind the ladder make it to the top 250 or to do well in one of these play events if you finish in the top 1200 so between 251 and 1200 you don't qualify directly like you used to, but you get one entry to one of these play events. So you you gain, you know, some kind of prize that lets you save some some goals, some gems, etc. Um, and the qualifier weekend is now a little tougher because these arena championship tournaments they only have 32 players. They're not as big as they used to be. So you have to go 7-1 or better on day one, I believe, and 7-1 or better on day two. So, yeah, much tougher than what you had to do. And according to Karsten's calculation, it's not clear if, you know, you'll always end up with less than 32 players. Because the way it works is every, every player who goes 7-1 plus 7-1 or better uh, qualifies and then they expect that to not quite be 32 players. It might be, I don't know, 25, 26. I'm just making a number up. And then to fill up the last, you know, X slots, they take um, people who did well, but not well enough. So for each of these arena championships, there's four qualifier weekend. And let's say, uh, you know, you do well on day one multiple times, and then you do kind of okay on day two, but not well enough. You can... They, they basically see, uh, I think they just add up your number of wins on day two mm -hmm. or maybe your numbers of win totals. And basically it's some kind of, you know, fractional invite system. So, yeah, I hope, I mean, that was maybe a little confusing. You can find it online, um, but it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. Uh, and I think it's a good system overall. There was... Uh, one thing that was lacking for Arena is that you can't qualify for the regional championships on Arena. You can qualify to the Pro Tour, you can qualify to the Arena Championship, obviously, but you can't qualify to the regional championships. So there's not every path to every level of play, but maybe maybe it was a little too complicated. You know, maybe they wanted to keep it somewhat simple and straightforward. And you know, if you're looking to qualify for the regional championships in paper then you know you probably uh can can just find a an rl tournament to to go to and try to qualify that way hmm. did i lose you harry honestly not magic related i've been up since 7 a.m and had an exam today so most things are going in one ear out the other <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i i kind of get it i mean it just sounds like there's a lot of linear ways to get through things yeah yeah um, yeah, it's, it's pretty straightforward. I think they did a pretty good job. You know, I talked about some of the complaints people already had, so we'll see if that gets fixed down the line or adjust. We'll see. But there was uh, another big announcement, the new arena format. It's called Explorer. Apparently it already existed, and it's basically every card that's Pioneer legal on arena. Mm. So it's a Pioneer Light, basically. And it uses the same ban list. And their goal down the line is to have Pioneer on Arena. Wow. Which a lot of people were asking for, actually. And 
a lot of people are also saying that's not what they're going to do, blah, blah, blah. And that Pioneer on Arena would not necessarily fix, uh, you know, any problems. But that, that's what we're getting. Cool. Sounds like a good idea. Once again, I'm worried that it's one more format and, you know, it might be a lot. So we'll see. But their plan is to, I think, kind of add cards as, as they go and try to have, quote unquote, you know, all the, all the relevant Pioneer cards on Arena. That that's really scary to me, to be honest. I mean, to be honest, I'll be real. If I had to choose between Pioneer and Arena and Magic Online, I'd go Magic Online because I feel like it's way less flexible, right? E- economically, I I don't know. I just I mean, it makes sense for them to add it to Arena, but do people really have the wild cards for all these formats? Well, it's probably cards people already have for a lot of them. I, I would be shocked if I had every mm. relevant Pioneer card crafted already. Um, that yeah yeah that does make sense to be fair yeah uh, yeah it seems good i mean it's it's free for us for them to add it right it doesn't really it's not really a downside for us to be honest yeah and historic i'm not sure what they're going to do with historic because historic's been a little stale for a while it's not the most exciting format honestly i mean the decks are fine and the format is balanced but it feels like it's been the same like three or four decks for forever and it's probably not going to change that much because you still have cards like Faithless Looting and Historic. And with their new kind of policy of making lower powered standard sets, it's less and less likely that, you know, new standard cards have a big impact in Historic. Mm. That's it. So I guess, to be honest, my only non-Arena player question is Omnath costs five mana on Arena, right? Is that going to cost five mana or four mana in Pioneer? Well, it's gonna cost. You're right. It's gonna. Yeah, you're gonna be able to play real Omnath. That's another thing. I'm not too sure if that's and that's kind of a little confusing. You know, with the the alchemy rebalance and whatnot. I'm actually not sure what they're doing with a card like Omnath. Yeah, because Omnath is is not a staple, but it's definitely played in some deck. I mean, it would be played in some decks, and. Can I think of any other cards that have been changed? Oh, that... Fires of Invention? Yeah. Yeah. And and sometimes that... What's that two-mana one-one that puts a counter on something? At combat? Luminarch Aspirants? Yeah, I mean, I've only seen that once in a jank deck. But, I mean, these are all cards that could be played. Doesn't that put it on the end step now or something? All right, so, yeah, good point. Explorer is true to paper... And meaning the the cards are not not nerfed for Explorer. Okay, makes sense. D- to be honest, I still will I will still say my concerns of that. It's very hard to juggle all these formats and keep 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 track of them. I think Magic is getting to a point where we have so many formats. I understand Explorer is Pioneer, quote unquote, but when it's not like completely Pioneer, it's just so hard to keep yeah. track. I, I don't think for a competitive player and someone who's very invested, I don't think it's hard to keep track. I just think it's overwhelming. That's that. Yeah. Sorry. That's what I kind of mean. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's definitely hard to keep track if you don't play a ton, you know, but if you're someone like me, maybe someone like you starts playing a bit more, um, you know, it's just overwhelming and. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We'll see. And there's, the 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 the, the system is gonna be you know there's gonna be a lot you know do you play ladder do you play do you try to focus on arena do you focus on magic online how many how many different formats do you do you, do you focus on and there's gonna be a lot of there's probably gonna be for people who play a lot and who want to try and qualify and stuff there's probably gonna be some picking to do you know and it might be better you know we might be better off people might be better off in general just trying to focus on a few formats they're trying to maximize their their chance of winning there might be also some you know a little fear of missing out um you know to to try and play everything or do you focus on on some of the tournaments do you focus more on magic online because there's still the showcase path or do you play maybe a bit more on the ladder so you're sure that you make it to the the qualifier weekend mhm mm-hmm. yeah i mean Overall, I don't, I don't really care. I mean, all they're saying is that we're trying to, 
make Pioneer more accessible. And if they're trying to make a existing format playable on Arena, uh, no complaints yeah. from me. Um, yeah, I, li- I liked what I saw today. I mean, I think it was, you know, kind of in the same vein as what we saw a month ago, what they announced a month ago. It's fairly straightforward. I know earlier I was saying, I felt like I was, it was a little confusing the way I was explaining it, but I, I, I do think the format is, uh, the structure is fairly straightforward. Is it perfect? Probably not, but I feel like it's a good start. Cool. Was there anything else announcement-wise, or should we dive straight into modern? No, we can move on to modern. Okay. Um, you know, you told me before the podcast, obviously, uh, that you play a lot of modern this week. So I guess, yeah. Why don't we start with that? Yeah, I was telling you, I was an old man and I couldn't even remember how much of Tameshi Bloom we talked about last week, <laughs> but that's what I've been playing mostly this week. I played it in the. One of the challenges, actually, I played a, a few more leagues. I played my maybe now five or six league with the deck. For those of you who don't know what the deck does, it's based around Lotus Bloom and Tameshi. And you're basically bouncing Lotus Bloom or bringing back Lotus Bloom back to play, bouncing a land to generate mana. So for one white, you get back Lotus. So you, you gain two mana for every land you had in play. That you can bounce and then you play cultivator colossus to put all the lands back into play draw some cards um, and as long as you had at least one white mana floating you can go again was tameshi bringing back lotus bloom bouncing these lands and the deck has been has been pretty cool the the core of the deck is tameshi lotus bloom cultivator colossus you've got finale of devastation to kill them in the turn and also serve as a tutor effect. And then you have Ella Demery Skull to find your combo pieces. You have Forte Fairy Time Raveler just because it's an amazing card. You have a few silver bullets like Goblin Archaeologist that can bin your Lotus Bloom as well as a little ramp. And basically you've got the core of the deck and then the last six, seven, eight cards, you know, you can play maybe some ramp like Grazer or Birds. You can play Prismatic Ending. You can play Renning Six. You can play Omnath. You can play Tracker. I've been playing, you know, a couple Omnath, a Tracker, a Birds, a Sprawl, two Grazers, one Renning Six, you know, kind of classic means just a little bit of everything. But I do think it makes sense. It's cards that you don't really want to draw in too many copies that are not essential, but a nice, nice little bonus. And I guess I should also give credit to, and yeah, we gave, uh, well, I gave credit to Mark Taviash for building the deck, but I think it's actually someone who goes by the name of Davius Minimus on Twitter. And he he built a deck, he's been working on the deck. So credit to him, incredible shell. And I think last I heard, he wasn't a big fan of Omnav, but I thought it was kind of crazy. I've been liking the card. I think it's kind of weird to play these colors and not at least play one copy and you're playing all these tutors anyway. So there's going to be some games where you're just better off getting a Nomnav than trying to assemble your combo. And I've just been pretty impressed with the deck, honestly, in leagues. I've gone 3-2, 4-1, the, the modern challenge, I went 6-2, and two, which is pretty solid. The deck's pretty well-rounded. People were making fun because it looks like any kind of hate my work. You know, it's it relies on an artifact, so stuff like Stony Stallions can be annoying. It relies on their graveyard, so graveyard hate can be good. You rely on a free toughness creature to, to win the game, so Bolt kind of disrupts you, etc., etc. But it's a sweet deck because it's really very resilient. You know, the graveyard hate is not that big of a deal. If it's something like a ley line, you can maybe bounce it with Teferi. Removal, sure, they kill your creature, but you get, you get your two for one because you still trigger the ability of Tameshi. So you're kind of nickel and diming them, you know, the two for one themselves on that. And then you play a Nomnaf and maybe you draw a tracker, you're using Teferi. And, you know, if, if they don't have it, the combo is actually pretty easy to assemble. And it's super consistent. I don't think I've ever lost a game where I've cast at least one Colossus with Tameshi and Lotus. You basically never fizzle once you cast the first Colossus. Mm. So, yeah, the, the deck's been surprisingly resilient, super consistent, lots of redundancy, and it mulligans well as well. 
because if you mulligan to a Lotus Bloom hand, you're you're usually pretty set. I think one of the scariest cards actually might just be Teferi Tamralver, just because it stops your your Lotus Bloom draws. But even that, you know, you, you might lose a Lotus Bloom and then you can just get it with, with Wargate. It's another card I didn't talk about. Um, mostly there to get you Lotus in the early game, but can also just act as that second, you know, once you've cast the first Colossus, usually you can generate 10 plus mana and then you can use a Wargate to, to get a second Colossus, etc. I watched a lot a lot of um, games, actually, from from your stream. And one thing I saw with control players as well is even if they don't have the Teferi, they can also have the March on your upkeep because Lotus Bloom gets cast on your upkeep, right? Yeah. This is, is this a very disruptive play? No, not at all because you just sack it, so it goes to your graveyard. Mm -hmm. And then you still play land number four, play Tameshi. Hmm. And basically, if you have four lands... Tameshi and one white up, that's um, that's eight mana. So that's enough to cast a Colossus and to have one white up to keep going after replaying all your lands. Wow. It's okay. also nice because you don't even need four lands. You really just need three lands because you can bounce one and play it again. So you don't need a ton of resources to go off. Mm -hmm. I... I um... I was watching your like I said, but you you were saying while you were alive, you're like, oh, blue. Any control matchup is kind of unwinnable. I guess ma matchup wise, do you think controls the worst matchup? Like, why would you want to play this combo deck? You know, what are you looking to play? Yeah. Against? Well, I'm not sure. I you know, I'm not sure how good the deck is. If it's closer to tier one or closer to tier two. Mm -hmm. I've had good results, but I'm not sure I have a great reason to to say, uh, oh, you should play this deck over a regular for Color Omnath or against over anything else. All I know is that it's been good. I do think that blue-white control should be really bad. I did beat a bunch of blue-white control players, but I felt like I was getting away with murder because they have counters, they have to fairy time reveler, solitude's kind of annoying. They have a lot of annoying cards, but I guess the the deck is is fairly resilient, as I said, so I feel like it's just kind of deck that's kind of can beat anything pretty pretty solid. Maybe a matchup like Titan would be pretty good because they don't interact with you at all and you're a bit faster than them. You're a pretty consistent turn for deck and you have a tiny bit of interaction. So maybe that's one matchup I'd be looking for. I was doing surprisingly well against Merktide. I didn't necessarily expect to do a super well against Merktide, but... Once again, you know, you, yeah, I, I'm not sure how to explain it. It's just, I guess, redundancy, consistency, resiliency, and uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I definitely did, the deck definitely looked good when I watched you play it, but you're winning every match. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely an interesting one. And one thing that I think I like the most in that, logically i didn't really get until you said is when you cast cultivator colossus and you resolve the trigger you're guaranteed to have a hand full of spells the way the trigger works you play a land draw card play a land draw card it's literally just fill your hand up and dump all your lands and that's one thing that i really like because i think there was a game where they were really disruptive you know they're killing everything and then you played a cultivator colossus and then it was like, your hand was guaranteed full of spells. And that's what I think I personally really like about this type of combo deck. But I, I, you know, I guess maybe let's compare it to, let's say, Amulet Titan. I feel like this is quite a, would you say that's quite a similar combo? If you were to choose a deck in modern? Or... Titan might be, Titan might be harder to interact with in some ways. Mm-hmm. But maybe the, uh, I'm not sure, honestly. You, you do share some of the same cards, I guess, you know, potentially Cultivator, Colossus. Your, um, I guess re removal's not maybe as good against Titan mm -hmm. as it is against Tameshi combo because the, the, the removal still slows you down. Um, yeah. But you do get to play, you know, you do get to play Teferi, Time Raveler, or you do get to play cards like Omnath. And I didn't talk about the sideboard. The sideboard is a lot of silver bullets because 
Um, you know, you just don't have too much to board out. It's just kind of your classic combo deck where you can't really cut too many cards. What I usually end up doing a lot of the time is maybe cutting grazers on the play if I'm playing against someone who doesn't have Ragavan and trimming some of the top end like Colossus, Finale, and Wargate. You know, I'll maybe trim one of each, but it's not super easy. So what was kind of the original approach and I pushed it a little further is that I just have a lot of silver bullets that I can get, whether it's creatures or permanent. So, you know, cards like Kataki or Lavinia, Endurance, um, you know, Nemerical for the mill matchup, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, just kind of discards. The original list, I think, had three Spell Pierce and two Veil of Summer. And I was just finding that I had way too many cards to bring in a lot of matchups. So I went down to one spell pierce, one veil, and added more silver bullets. Another kind of sweet sideboard card is Burn Taunt for Tender. It blocks Ragavan and DRC in the early game, especially Ragavan, and it protects your Tameshi from bolts and unholy heats. So it's kind of double duty. Hmm. Um, yeah, so that that's what I was up to in modern. I did play. A league was living in yesterday because I started to stream late, so I wanted something fast. And I kind of joked I was, I was gonna have joked I was gonna speed run was living in, and I got the quick uh, five or ten oh. You know, lots hmm. of people have been hyping up living in, calling it one of the best decks in modern. And while I agree, the last time I picked up the deck, I felt like the hate was real, and every matchup was tough and an uphill battle. Even though I was maybe still winning slightly over more than half my matches i didn't feel like it was in a very good spot but maybe i just ran bad over you know these few leagues and meninane is up on the leaderboard and been doing well in challenges as well lots i feel like every weekend you see living and do well in the challenges so yeah just classic living ends i guess it always confuses me between how people jump between living end and rhinos all the time you know, there's always a shift. I feel like every other week we're going between Living End's the best, Rhino's the best. What what I want to know is, I believe last week we talked about Jund Living End. Was, was this the Living End list you played or did you play the blue one? No, I played the stock blue list. Mm -hmm. um, nothing too fancy. I guess one solo would be in the main deck. I think I basically took Meninane's latest list and I cut the second Ottawara for Sunken Runes. That was the only change I made. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, looking at the the modern challenge results, I mean, we do have a couple a couple four color living ends in both yeah. top eights. Oh no, one in one top eight, two in the other where there's a living in in ninth place on tiebreakers. So yeah, see, I mean, seems like a good deck, but not any rhinos, eh? What is there a reason? Is that an obvious reason, or is it literally just week by week? I'm guessing just week by week. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Should we jump into the uh, challenge analysis, or did you play any other decks? No, that, that's mostly what I what I played this week. Uh, a lot of Tameshi, a tiny bit of Living End. Yeah. I sadly did not play any Modern. Honestly, I know this sounds crazy, but right now, I like Pioneer more than Modern. So... Yeah, you found, you found a, <laughs> a deck you like, that yeah. you're crushing with. You're going to tell us about it in a second, but... Not a ton to to talk about, honestly, these top eight challenges, I feel. Lots of different flavors of four-color deck, whether it's Bring to Light, which made a comeback. Um, I know that matchup is really tough for regular four-color Elmnaf when you get paired against a Bring to Light version because the scapeshift kill is pretty potent, and Bring to Light for Valky is also kind of a pain. So... Good matchup there. I'm not sure how it does exactly against the field, but yeah, lots of Merc Tide, lots of Living In, lots of different flavor of four color Omnaf and Wafo was a top four finish. Was Blue White Control? He decided to go was four Fire Ice and two Chalice of the Void this week. So something all different than what he's been doing. And I guess it worked out for him. I'm not sure what the logic is. I don't know if you've watched any of his streams this week or... No, I do love watching Wafo's streams, but I have not 
Looking at his list, though, it's literally such a classic Wafo list. Still with the Emrakul, the Elms Torn, and the sideboard. I think we've literally, I've literally mentioned this every time we've seen his list on the podcast. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I lost to to Milwis to Mation and instantly added an, uh, a cause like to my sideboard, and it actually won me a a match against Mail. I made good use of Dad. I made good use of the one Endurance too to shuffle back my graveyard. I played a really sweet match against Mail. Was was that deck so makes sense the only comment i want to make on wafo's deck is how high of an impact the wandering emperor has had in blue white control i I've, i watched wafo play it not only in modern but as well as legacy blue white control that's how powerful this seems to have been oh wow yeah and 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 every time he casts it i'm amazed every time and he has no jaces in the deck his planeswalkers are three Tef Time Raveler, two Wandering Emperor, two Teferi Heroes. So, Wafo's definitely a Emperor believer. But one thing that confuses me is in the sideboard, he's got two summary dismissal. What, what do you know? What exactly this is for? Yeah, it's usually for Titan. Oh, Tavern of Souls. Yeah, yeah. Or I guess maybe also, would you board it in against Shardless Agent? Mm. No, I don't think he brings it in in these matchups. Maybe, maybe in the mirror match, obviously against Tron as well. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's good against Cavern. It can be good against Veil of Summer if you know maybe maybe Tron plays Veil of Summer. I'm not sure, but Tron and Cavern Titan are the big ones. Makes sense. Yeah, it's it's one of the questions he gets the most. I'm I'm assuming by now he probably has a command for summary dispel <laughs> still in his chat because. People are always asking about that cards. Makes sense. But yeah, you've been you've been playing a ton. I, I guess yeah. As I said, I don't feel like there's been anything incredible. I don't know. Did anything else like catch your eye as far as modern goes? Or honestly, I've just had my eyes on Pioneer with it being the Pro Tour format, as well as like Pioneer is way more fast paced in my opinion than. Not even in my opinion. It's just way more fast paced than modern right now. There's loads of combo decks, loads of aggro decks. You don't you don't have mid range. You don't really have like, um, you know, it's just a fast paced format. And that's what I need right now as a student on a break, getting a Discord call <laughs> with Cherry, um, fellow British streamer, jam out leagues. It's it's honestly great. But yeah, I've been going with Mono Green in Pioneer. I'm gonna say this now. I think it's easily the best deck I've probably played about 10 leagues on my own and every league i play with i play alongside cherry on discord we screen share we talk about plays everything it's great and we we have been crushing we 4-1 more than we 3-2 this deck is insane and most of the time our losses are the deck losing to itself because obviously it's a ramp aggro combo deck and you can just you know, mulligan to oblivion, and then they have the one burn spell for the elf, and then your mana screwed or whatever. But generally speaking, I guess I should go through um not the deck, but lines that I think a lot of people miss. So I think the most important thing that Cherry and I have identified is that you shouldn't keep mediocre sixes and sevens. You should just mull to the nuts. We've just instead of like playing these meat mediocre hands we've just been mulling to the nuts and the nuts would be um turn one and turn two ramp spell it always works and um i guess matchup wise there are not many matchups i would say in the format the top decks i play against are blue red uh thing in the ice decks but either being phoenix or uh days and doing narset then you have winota that you have mono red and Lotus, anything else? Oh, Mavel controller, not really. I I have not played against Blue White Control once in ten leagues. I mean, wow. Yeah, it's it's kind of nuts. But I think there's just too much combo. Yeah. This is off the top of my head. I'll quickly get. Oh, and Black Red, Black Red as well. And I I hand on heart believe you don't have a bad matchup against any of them. And I'll go through it quickly. So Blue Red, I. Typically, I guess maybe first, Gab, do you have any questions about the list, Mono Green? Yeah, I had questions about the list because I yeah. saw you play a tiny bit and I saw the Troll, I saw Cavalier of Thorns. Last time <laughs> I played this deck, people still played Nissa. I believe you don't play Nissa anymore. Nissa so who shakes were... the world? Yeah. I've got two. You've I got guess two, maybe I should yeah. lift off my list. 
So, because I guess we're doing a full deep dive? Whatever. Yeah. So we got eight elves, four Oath of Nyssa, four Wolf Willow Haven, one Sylvian Caryatid, four Old Growth Troll. Uh, for those who don't know what that is, that's the triple green 4-4 four, four with Trample, that when it dies, you return it enchanting your land, and that land now taps for two. You can then sack that land if you want um, by paying one mana to make a tapped 4-4 four, four token. I also have three Kioras. That's the <laughs> uncommon War of the Spark Planeswalker that untaps a target permanent, and when a creature with power 4 great ends the battlefield, draw a card. One Vivian, four Karns, two Nyssa, four Cavalier of Thorns, and four Storm the Festival. And then in the sideboard, I'm not going to list off everything, but we have a load of one of artifacts as well as some cyber cards and Hunt the Hunter. And we got extra copies of Graph Digger's Cage. So like you said there, why the heck are we playing Old Growth Troll and Cavalier of Thorns? And you know what's funny, Gab? Is that these cards win games more than the Planeswalkers do. I'm not joking. The amount of concessions that Cherry and I get to turn one elf, turn two old growth troll is insane. The amount um, the amount of value you get from Cavalier of Thorns is insane. Cavalier of Thorns is single-handedly what makes this deck a tier zero in my opinion. Cavalier of Thorns gets your Nykthos, but not, not even that's the important thing. Cavalier of Thorns mills the cards into your graveyard... And Storm the Festival has flashback for 10. So not only is Cavalier ramping you, but it's also getting any storms into your graveyard, which you can flash back. So you're adding three tier of devotion, you're digging for Nykthos, and you're putting potentially a storm in the graveyard, as well as you have Karn the Great Curator to fetch the combo piece of Pestilent Cauldron, that it's the uh, black artifact on the front, which you don't really care about, it's the sorcery on the back, that's three and two green, that returns a creature, land, and or planeswalker. Sorry, two target creature, land, and or planeswalker cards from your graveyard to your hand. Now, there is an infinite combo with Karn, Cura, and the Cauldron, but I'm not going to explain that because it's too long. But you basically, yeah, you loop, Car you have to have two Karns and two Kioras, and you have to have enough devo devotion or mana, and then you loop a Cauldron infinite times, and then Cauldron says each opponent mills a card equal to the number of life you've gained this turn, and you gain four life from every cult, every retroactive burst you cast. So you just mill your opponent for infinite. Um, so that's kind of like the basic logic behind the deck. But I would say, honestly, the general game plan is just dump your hand, Nykthos, or get a load of mana, and, and just cast spells. And, you know, it sounds like, that sounds like fairy tale land, but genuinely speaking, I would say about like 80-90% of games, you get Nykthos into your hand. Either through Oath of Nyssa, Cavalier of Thorns, or just naturally drawing it, as well as you can get it from Storm the Festival. So, something that I think that people will overlook looking at this deck that honestly... Like, uh, there's a lot of little things that just add up to make so much sense. Like, Kiora, for example... Cura is not a great planeswalker on its own. It's three mana for seven loyalty, untapped target permanent. What makes Cura insanely busted is the draw, the draw clause. Whenever a creature with power four or greater ends the battlefield under your control, draw a card. That's nuts. So you can untap Nykthos, you cantrip with your trolls, you cantrip with your cavaliers, you're fetching your Nykthos, you're dumping your storms. The deck is a really, really consistent combo deck. And all you've got to focus on is having your nut, uh, nut manas. That's why I was saying, you know, we've just been mulling because a lot of your cards just draw cards or you cavalier and dump into the graveyard. And that's why you see this list that I'm playing now or the list being played now, they're way, uh, they have way less planeswalkers as they did in the past before COVID, um, the spike one. Because this one is heavily focused on just, I play a big creature, you can't attack, because no one can beat a 4-4 in the format, which I find is insanely funny. And if they do spend their resources on killing my old growth troll, that's great, because I keep my devotion of 3, and it puts it on my land and ramps me. So you just, you know, you know the amount of bone crusher giants I've blocked into combo kill, because old growth troll attaches to a land and keeps 3 devotion, is insane. And that's why I'm such a green stan. Because I feel like the deck has no bad matchups, and every deck, every game feels super unique. Because it's, how do I get Nykthos into play? How do I cast this Storm? And, you know, what creatures do I have to play to block, to chump? You don't have to really worry about insane, like, 
No one really plays counter spells. No one plays Thoughtseize. So, yeah, honestly, I just... that That's why I think the deck is built like this. Is yeah, there any... Troll, yeah? troll is disgusting when you can't deal with it well, when you have to interact with it and can't ignore it, or when your removal does an exile. It's such a pain. Yeah. And if, if Troll is well positioned, then... Easily. I see why, why green would be so good. But to, I know I've also... I can't remember which format exactly, but I remember playing a format where Troll was just super underwhelming because a lot of the removal was, you know, either a bounce spell or exile or whatnot. And yeah, also triple green for Nykthos makes your elf draws even better. Yep. And that sounds, sounds good because the old version used to play, it used to be Karn, Nissa, and four mana Vivian. Mm -hmm. yeah. Is four mana Vivian totally gone? So I we have one four mana Vivian in the deck, and this is specifically for um, clock reasons now because the car the double Karn double Cura combo is actually really slow. But what you can do instead is make near infinite mana with Nykthos, activate Layer of the Hydra, use Nissa to give it haste, and then you can put counters on it with Vivian so it has Trample, so you can attack for like sixty Trample and. Well, that that sounds like niche. Don't forget, you mill your deck with Cavalier, so you always have a Nissa and most likely a Vivian in the graveyard, unless it's in like the bottom ten or twenty. And then you can give your um, Layer of the Hydra haste, give it Trample, pump it, and attack. Um, so that's kind of why we have it, as well as as well as having the one of Vivian. Like you draw your deck. When you combo, you draw your whole deck. Generally, it does happen. But you also just get these hands where it's like um, storm into Vivian plus whatever, kill your guy. Like killing Thing in the Ice is nice, but you know, just having access to one removal spell and as well as the combo with Layer of the Hydras is super good. Yeah, I'm also happy you're playing Cura. That card's so cool and never really found a home in any tier one decks in any formats, but maybe this is it. And I've always been impressed... Once in a while, you'd get paired against Random Brew with Skiora, and that card just is, is I don't know, I'm, I've always been kind of impressed by that card and lost to it a bunch against Random Brews. Yeah, Kiora definitely surprised me the most. And I think still something heavily debated between, between games is where do you put the Wolf Willow Haven a lot of the time? Because what you could do is, there's an argument, okay, you should put your Wolf Willow Haven on the Nykthos, because what are you going to untap the most? Probably the Nykthos with the Kiora. So it's like always this weird, weird awkward, awkward um, sequencing, but it rarely comes up. Um, and also, there's a, there's a few flex spots, because I've seen people play more Sylvan Karyatid, because that's really good against Blue-Red as well as Mono-Red, obviously with the Hexproof as well as the O3 Blocker. Um, a lot of people don't play Vivian. I've seen Doomwake playing no Old Growth Troll, and instead, because I play four Troll, three Kiora, I see Doomwake's playing th four Kiora and three Voracious Hydra, but I strongly disagree with Voracious Hydra for the reason of, um, you'd rather turn two Troll than turn two Voracious Hydra, and I feel like you lose a lot of percentage points because there's so many games you win by just turn two Old Growth Troll. And a lot of the Planeswalker matchups, they just can't Planeswalker you. A as well as, Old Growth Troll is literally the best chump blocker in the deck. The amount of times I chump block with Old Growth Troll into combo is really, really good. Um, but if you have no yeah. further questions, I'll start doing matchup breakdowns. Yeah, why don't you go for it? No, sounds, sounds cool. I haven't played Pioneer much at all. You said you didn't play against any Blue-White, and I wasn't mm -hmm. super surprised because I played a bunch of Blue-White, and it felt just so mediocre and when you're yeah. playing in the dark with a control deck and you don't know what you're up against that makes your life a little tougher so I'm not surprised to to hear you say that actually but yeah why don't you break us down the the top matchups yeah so i think the hardest matchup with this deck is blue red in terms of like how do you play because you have so many confusing decisions and i think that one thing that people need to realize again playing against blue red it doesn't matter what variation phoenix or control is they don't play counter spells like at most one or two i never play around counter spells in game one specifically so you just slam but one thing that i think people are really scared by is thing in the ice but thing in the ice is actually not that good against us the only thing in the ice games you should th theoretically lose 
is where they have double thing. That's difficult to beat, but one thing, you just play all your creatures, they'll bounce your board, and then you just replay your creatures and chump it. They really can't beat chumping. Um, the thing in the ice deck, they burn out easily, because don't forget, it's Pioneer. They're only, they don't have the greatest card draw spells in the world, as well as when they are drawing cards, they're drawing into really mediocre removal spells. You know, they've got decent card draw, but they're, they're, what they're actually drawing into really isn't that good, in my opinion. Um, so, I really like to lean on Old Growth Troll and Cavalier in this matchup. Get those down first, then worry about your Planeswalkers. Attack them down. So, it's like, it's really awkward for the Phoenix uh, Phoenix or Thing in the Ice player when you just um, dump your hand, they bounce everything, you recast it. I mean, that is kind of, like, very linear. But one thing that made this matchup really good is having Meteor Golem in the sideboard. The 7-mana 3 thief that destroys a non-land permanent, you think that's bad? But they only play Aethergust and Negate most of the time as counterspells, so... Meteor Golem is the perfect answer. You know, they flip their thing in the ice. You've gotten your lands from the Cavalier of Thorns, or you can chump block with the Old Growth Troll, and then you just Meteor, you meteor Golem and just kill the thing. They lit, Most of the time, they can't do anything. And you beat this, the t double thing in the ice plays because you kill the thing in the ice, and then they flip it, and they bounce your Meteor Golem. So, <laughs> yeah, or you just kill, or you just kill the thing in the ice with the counters on it, and you chump the the other thing depending on what life you're on obviously but i think generally speaking the way this matchup goes is you'll either have a load of ramp on the early turns or you'll go elf troll and then try and karn for meteor golem and then see what they do and then i think another very important thing is if their board is empty get god pharaoh statue and they lose if you get god pharaoh statue and play against blue red they're casting expensive cantrips to cast undervalued removal spells and then they lose so i really really like this matchup but i think it's like really 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 important you sequence correctly because um because of obviously like you have very few turns to do things before they flip thing um someone in the twitch chat mentions field of ruin is hard for mono green I mean, yeah, sure, but I've literally never played it against a Field of Ruin in, in 10 leagues. So, yeah, we can list off cards good against the deck, but that no one plays. But that's blue-red. Um, Winoda is is another awkward... I feel like every matchup with Mono Green is awkward, but that's because you're playing Karn, right? So it's like what... It's kind of like how do you set up to stop the opponent plus combo. And against Winoda... Game one is just a coin flip. Like, if they have fast Winoda, they have fast Winoda. What's nice against Winoda is they do make treasures with the Prosperous Innkeeper, I believe is the name. The two mana 1-1 one, one make a treasure. So Karn can Stone Rain them. That happens quite often. Um, I really like getting a fast Sky Sovereign against them. But obviously, Graf Digger's Cage is important. There are a lot of games where you'll have to just 5-mana Karn, like, sorry, 4-mana Karn, get Graf Digger's Cage, it dies. Don't worry, though. Because if you think about it, if you remove the Winoda, that means they're playing all these crappy cheap creatures for a 4-mana four 4-4 four, four that does nothing, and then you just hope to top deck out of it. Because Old Growth Troll and Cavalier always blanks their board, so even if you just Karn Grafdigger's Cage, it dies, most of the time you'll just draw out of it, because a third of your deck beats them. Um, and then in games 2 and 3, you sideboard into Grafdigger's Cage, so you have that, and then you can Storm into Grafdigger's Cage... You can obviously Karn get the third Graf Digger's Cage from your sideboard, as well as don't be afraid to keep hands that are like Troll, Cavalier, and a load of Ramp, because they do just blank uh, their board. Because I still win a lot of games where my opponent attacks with um, Winoda on the board, because at the end of the day, the 6-mana six 6-6 six, six that makes two wolves, it hits hard, but it doesn't really do anything against us, because we're still trying to combo. The amount of times my opponent is Winoda... Swung with a billion things, gets a billion creatures, and then untap and combo kill them is is quite common. Um, and that's what I like about this deck a lot too, is a lot of decks that combo against you or do their thing, quote-unquote, you still get away with it. Um, what next? You have Mono Red. Mono Red, I would say, is the most awkward matchup, uh, games-wise, because they have a load of removal spells for your elves. But, like, like you know what in common gab in all these matchups troll and cavalier are good against them so like i said before troll cavalier you win yeah. the game 
Um, they find it really hard to get rid of them. The troll turns into a land, which you can then sack to make a 4-4. That's really important as well with Kiora. Don't be afraid. You draw a card still, even though you're sacking a land. Not really much to say there. Um, I also like to aggro fetch Pestilent Cauldron because you just, you know, Karn, get Cauldron. They can kill it if they want. Then you've gained the life from the combat step, killing Karn, and then you can get it back for five mana and gain four life. So that's also great, as well as or getting back a troll or a cavalier. Um, so, you know, I feel like a lot of matchups are awkward, but they're really favored. They're only awkward because, I mean, everyone's playing like some sort of interaction. What else did I say? Oh, black red. Black red, I feel like, is generally speaking a buy because a lot of their stuff is artifact based. Yeah, I'm not yeah. even joking. And they play Thoughtseize. It's like, okay, put my storm in the graveyard, I'll flash it back. And this deck has so much top deck potential, and they're really, they're really bad at top decking, but you're really good at top decking. And that's what makes it really hard um, for them to beat you. I think the only thing to be in, uh, be aware of is that they play Croxa as well as Colligan's Command sometimes. So maybe keeping an Elf in hand that you don't need to cast is good. Or aggressively fetching Tormod's Crypt if there's a Croxa in the graveyard is, is also great. And I think, generally speaking, that's your game plan against the top decks in the format. Oh, the only thing I should mention, actually, is kind of the third blue-red deck is these Narset Days Undoing decks. And one thing I think is really important against that deck is um, is that you shouldn't be afraid of Days Undoing. I was saying to Cherry, like, we've only actually lost to Days Undoing plus Narset on the board, like, actually once. We've killed we've killed you know how many combos we've done through narset days undoing go it's insane and the amount of tilt we get into the mtgo chat is really fun too that people these narset days undoing people think they cast that spell and it's, they win the game and we totally don't draw two cards and it's actually because this mono green generally speaking the top two cards of your deck is better than the cards in your hand because you're casting all of your ramp early game, and then if you don't really have anything good in your hand, you want a divination. So that's why I feel like, okay, yes, days of doing is great. In reality, it's wipe your hand, you get to divination, and it's like, well, I'm happy to do that because I have all my ramp on the table. And that's why I really like, um, I like that matchup and you shouldn't be afraid. As well as my favorite thing is when they collected defiance, killing my troll and making me discard my hand or whatever, and then I just ramp myself, untap, combo. So, you know, obviously, um, you can lose to any of the decks I've just listed, but generally speaking, I don't really, um, what is it? I'm not afraid to play against any of those decks, and if I had my life on the line, I would happily play against any of those. All right, you keep talking about the combo, but then you said you wouldn't explain that as a combo because it's too complicated. Oh, when, like... Uh, so, well, combo to me, I think the combo in this deck is just Nykthos. Yeah. Just like, um, uh, what is it? Just activate Nykthos and then you untap it with either Kiora, uh, Nissa, or just have yeah. a load of mana on the okay, table. Sure. You cast Storm the Festival, then you yeah. maybe get a Kiora and a Nissa, or a Kiora and a Karn, or a Cavalier and a Troll. I mean... Okay. It's just yeah. really getting, I honestly would say on average, you have like 10 mana on turn four a lot of the time. I, you have so much mana, 10 mana turn four or five uh, of spells. Any other, yeah. any other matchups where Karn's just kind of a free win? Any artifact decks in Pioneer? Or is red-black sacrifice kind of the closest to an artifact deck as it gets? So red-black sacrifice isn't really played anymore. The red-black I see is this, like, red-black mid-rangey leaning on discard removal and that saga. Mm -hmm. um, the three-mana saga that makes a 2-2 two -two and then... Fable. Yeah, Fable. Mirror yeah. Breaker or whatever, yeah. Yeah, but I, I haven't seen black-red in, in quite a while. That deck was... I think that deck just gets crushed by... The, the format is combo-heavy, right? You've got blue-red that's trying to combat the combo, and then you have, like, Winoda. You mm -hmm. have... Yeah, it's just such a fast format that I just think that the mid-range decks are getting pushed out. And that's what people have been talking ban-wise. People think that, okay, well... Um... While the format has many top decks, you could say that the gameplay is quite boring, but I disagree. I think that, honestly speaking, like, I would say, honestly, the reason why there are so many decks being played is because I feel like every deck feels like this against every deck. Do you know what I mean? 
like everyone's kind of trying to goldfish with low yeah. interaction and the reason why i feel like mono green is better than them all is that everyone's trying to goldfish with minimal interaction but a, a part of my combo has karn which gets cards out of my sideboard so that's why i feel like i lean towards this deck over the other decks yeah but yeah, honestly, I, I really like it. I mean, there's a lot of like in niche things that I've missed out. Like maybe Vivian, we specifically have Verderous Gearhulk and Meteor Golem because Vivian minus five was was too weak. And yeah, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think generally speaking, that's what I would want to know. Like two weeks ago, going into this deck, I think it's just really focus on your early turn mana and also realize that the creatures are really good. And sometimes better than the planeswalkers. Yeah, you're selling it pretty well. I guess I'll have to fire it off next time I play a Pioneer. Give it a shot. Because when I was playing Pioneer, I didn't really find a deck that appealed to me and that kind of stood out. Yeah. Well, I just the th the thing that to me that's so enticing is like I said, everyone's gold fishing and you get the cyborg cards, but also as well as this deck uses the London Mulligan the best, I would say, because Winoda, for example, you mulligan, let's say you mulligan to five, it's really hard to have a nutted five. Mm -hmm. Whereas this deck, if you mull to five, you keep the mana. Whereas with Winoda, what do you keep? Do you keep the Winoda? Do you keep the fast mana? Do you keep the mid-range creatures? And... Um, it's similar to blue red you know you have all these cantrips but mediocre spells like i feel like this deck mulligan's the best it interacts okay and it combos really fast have you played anything else or just monogreen and pioneer um the only thing else i've played with is my sanity from how much revision i've done in maths as well as yeah. do this <laughs> but honestly you... that's all i know are you going to start playing more challenges? Are you going to try and qualify? What do you think about the OP announcement? Is that something that you're excited about? Or are you kind of, whatever, maybe you'll give it a shot here and there, but nothing, nothing too special? So my consensus is this. I am in my last year at university. I am not going into a postgraduate job for a while. So what I'm going to do is, I've kind of hinted at it, I'm going to go full-time magic from May 25th, this being um, really good YouTube content. I'm going to be prioritizing a YouTuber over Twitch streamer, and then I'm also going to play a lot of magic, because I think right now, YouTube-wise, I feel like you either have good content on YouTube and low magic skill, or high magic skill, low quality, and there's very little of both. So what I'm going to try and do is have high quality magic and high quality content um obviously easier said than done but i've got a good few ideas so that's going to be my priority because if you're a magic creator i feel like you make the most money from youtube at least from what i've experienced yeah competitive wise logically it makes sense that if i'm trying to get good at magic i should probably put some effort into getting some sort of pt invite because that's good clickbait so i would say i would I don't know about playing challenges because those are so taxing because I feel like it's more playing for glory than cash as well as I don't really think that that's like great YouTube content because there's a lot of challenge wins on YouTube and top eights and they don't really do that well. So yeah. I would focus more on like the glory PT invite-esque side or just for personal achievement or whatever so i would say that answering your question properly um yes i will try and qualify for the pro tour yeah i will be going to i will most likely go to every european gp next year or nice. this year are you gonna be able to watch some hairy mtg on the weekend and some challenges some qualifiers are gonna stream those or oh i'm actually gonna stream them hmm that, I'm undecided. I really hate streaming challenges, honestly. It's like the word, like, to me, streaming makes me feel more tilted. Like, I'm not really that much of a tilter if I play on my own. Whereas if I know people are watching me, 
Like, I don't really mind punting away a match on my own, but if I mm -hmm. punt it and then I realize, oh my gosh, a hundred people are watching, it's kind of like, you know, it's back. It's 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 really annoying. And I'm sure people know, you know, that my opponents always draw the perfect spell seven turns in a row, something <laughs> stupid like that. So I'm not yeah. even going to play the challenge tomorrow. <laughs> but um, yeah, that I, that I would say is my my general plan. I mean, what's your plan? To be honest, what what's your plan over the next few months? To just play, hopefully, a lot of magic. I haven't been super motivated between, you know, COVID and stuff and been enjoying the stream, but haven't gone the extra mile really lately, whether it's for YouTube or even testing for tournaments. I'm putting a bunch of hours, but maybe not as seriously as I should have. Or I guess I have put in a lot of time for the last few set championships, but... um. Yeah, just looking forward to it, figuring out what makes most sense for me for the stream, which path, you know, qualify for the Pro Tours. Obviously, I have some invites with Hall of Fame, but yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see as it happens because I've always been attracted to the Pro Tour and stuff, even if it didn't always make the most sense financially. There's a lot of terms I don't play, you know, that might make more sense financially. So I've, uh, I don't know, I guess we'll see if the, the glory of the Pro Tour and the magic of the Pro Tour still appeals to me. Okay, sounds good. I mean, honestly, what would be great is a triple midweek metagame Pro Tour. Imagine that we had an episode on the podcast where all three of us give our own tournament report. That'd be sick, yeah. <laughs> or a team PT, the midweek. I guess maybe you wouldn't want a team with Pat. Would you want a team with Pat and I at a team PT? Mm, never know. Ooh. I might if, if you guys, I mean, I don't think I'll ever. I guess Pat puts in the hour and he's a good player. And if you're going to play a lot too, you never know. Okay, okay, sick. That's, that's one of the things that they haven't talked about at all is team events, right? Yeah, yeah. It just can kind of. I, I don't know, a little disappointing or kind of too bad, you know, but hopefully as as they iterate, you know, year after year, we'll have more, we'll have some team events again. Sick. Okay, well, I have been up since 7 a.m. and I'm exhausted. I guess not a tournament report, but an exam report quickly. Had an oral exam today and somehow I managed to get 100%. So no big deal. Yeah, I think I've been saying on the podcast I'm going to fail my degree. I genuinely have been living in the library. You know, I've been doing my my research, my reading. I've been instead of reading Twitter, I've been reading my books. So yeah, what you know? Let, let's see, fifty-seven times forty-one. Oh my gosh, I I don't do that type of maths. <laughs> I know. I'm <laughs> but yeah, should we uh should we wrap up the episode? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So, as always, Life on the Line, for those new listening, don't know what it is. At the end of every episode, there's a theoretical tournament tomorrow. If you win, you live. You lose, you die. Got to bring a deck from every format we talked about today. So, it's going to be Modern and Pioneer. I'll start things off because, in surprisingly, in Pioneer, I'm going to play Mono Green. Who would have guessed? And in Modern, I don't know what I'm going to play. I'm going to go for Living End because I feel like the metagame looks a bit different from what I'm used to. Um, and I want to play something fast and degenerate. What, what about you, Gab? For Pioneer, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to go Mono Green as well. Mm -hmm. And as far as Modern goes, I think I'm still going to stick with Four Color Omnath traditional if I was trying to win a tournament. And I guess I would have Living In as a really close second right now. Okay. Cool. But I, I I would still, even though I haven't played that deck in the past week, I was just trying other things. I still still think four color on that's really strong. You see it do well, whatever it's regular, Risen Reef, Call, you name it. It's it's just so good. Okay. Yeah, seems good. I mean, both formats seem like a lot of fun right now, to be honest. But to even finish up the episode even more, Sponsored by Card Market, we like to do at the end of every episode, The Price is Right, which I have to remind, or not remind you, let you know, Gab and I in Germany played The Price is Right game show with Card Market on their YouTube channel, alongside Terrell Severin, which is out right now, tons of fun, we did 10 different sets, it was great, I don't want to spoil it, 
go check it out on Car Market's YouTube channel. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. It was a little different concept, but the concept was really good as well. Yeah. Um, and we're going to play our own, which I think we should do Cavalier of Thorns. Makes the most All sense. Right, sure. Mythic from Core something, 22 maybe? From Core yeah. 20. Wow. I'm so bad on my sets. I have a price in my head, though. Mythic. Doesn't see a ton of play. I can see that card being played a little bit in Commander, though. Uh, mythic, mythic from a null set. All right, I have a price as well. Okay, three, two, one, ten. Ten as well. Oh, okay. So, well, okay. Um, let's see if we draw. Wait, wait. How can we do a tiebreaker? Let's do a second guess. Okay. 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 So, three, two, one, twelve. I was gonna say eleven. I showed ten, but I'll go with eleven. Okay. There was a so if it if it's closest to ten, we both win, and if not, I guess maybe our second guess is a tiebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> the thirty day average price is two euros and ten cents. Wow. With We're the just, <laughs> yeah, just like like an insane bias. Yeah, I've just been gassing up the card. Yeah. This is secretly Gab and I have a place at each on card market. We're trying to. Uh, are you are prices. you gonna go slam Harry? Are you, how many how many can you buy right now on card market? How many if you wanted to? One thousand four hundred. You can let's buy one thousand four hundred Cavalier of Thorns right now. Yeah, let's go. I mean, some of them are insanely priced, but yeah, dude, like... that's actually because if you just if it dig up to like five or six. I mean, it's hard for a card to like literally triple in price, but yeah, but yeah. So I guess that was it. You know, Pat will be on in future episodes. Sadly, family things as normal. Um, not as normal, but sadly, family things do get in the way sometimes. And obviously, Pat's a dad, so and, and a very hard worker. But Gap, where can we find you on the internet? Twitch.tv/slash/yellowhat, Twitter at GabNasif. Cool. As usual. You can find me on the Card Market YouTube channel this week, hashtag sponsored, and you can find Patrick on Twitter at get underscore smart. If you did make it this far into the episode, we really do appreciate you listening and supporting us. Um, you guys listening, keep us around. And we've been slowly growing. You know, I think we should appreciate anyone sharing the podcast, reviewing the podcast, doing whatever you can to help us. Really appreciate it. And um, I guess we'll see you guys next week. Bye, everyone. Take care.